everyone, welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. This week I'm very excited because we are getting into the it of it. We're getting into it. Into it. Yes. So when I think of Stephen King, this is the kind of thing that I think of, and I'm very excited to talk about this because apparently I never saw this. I thought I had seen this before. I've never seen this before, and I'm very excited to talk about it. And by it, I mean it from 1990. Television miniseries. We're only talking about part one this week. We'll talk about part two next week. We haven't even watched it yet. No. So it's secret. And before we get into it, it <laughs> how was your week? My week was actually very exciting for undisclosed reasons. Undisclosed reasons. Yes, we've yes. got secret personal projects going on that mm-hmm. have nothing to do with this podcast. I'd rather have secret personal projects podcast projects going on but wow that was good it's not the i know i didn't she trip over it seashells by the seashore i peter piper pickled all of those pickled peppers so yes rather than dwelling on the shit show that is our personal lives let's talk about stephen the king shit show that is dairy it yes the shit show that is dairy so we and by we i mean i purchased a dvd what's on this dvd um, it is, let's see, there is Stephen King's take on The Shining. Yes. And also the remake of Salem's Lot. Okay. So things we will definitely be getting to, but those happened a long time after this one. This right. is the, by far the earliest. The other ones are the aughts. I believe they're both in the aughts. And since we're going chronologically, this is the first thing that came up. We watched part one. Of the miniseries It, originally airing November of 1990. What were you doing in November of 1990? I, were you watching this miniseries? I saw part of it. Well, that's not enough. I did not get to. It was um, it was broadcast over a weekend, and it was one of those occasions where it was something that everyone I knew was into, and I didn't get to actually see it. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, which I is very much like that... Salem's Lot, which was something that I was too young to see, and by this point... Mm. I really wanted to to see it. I had some vague memories of the climax of it, which I'd like to see if are actually up. true, right? So this aired November eighteenth and November twentieth. Mm-hmm. That's weird. It wasn't the eighteenth and the nineteenth. That's odd. Anyway, I was ten years old. I guarantee you, my mom watched this. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should have also watched this. Do you think she stopped you from watching it because you were too young? I can't imagine her parenting would start there. So, so you've been no, reading Stephen King at this point, right? I had read Stephen King at this point, yes. Which is why I feel like... Now, it's possible... I had not read it at this point. Uh-huh. I can't imagine that my mother would think that the very objectionable sex scene from the book was going to be in a now, television miniseries. Y'all, we're going to just, okay, very briefly, because I have not read the book in multiple decades. It's been a long time. I kind of want to do it again. But all of these books, now that we're getting into it, I want to read again. It's a problem because they're very long. Yes, they are. This one comes in at a cool 1,138 pages. There is a point in this novel wherein the child version of these characters all have sex with each other. And by all have sex with each other, I mean all the boys have sex with Beverly. It's a very hetero 
affair. Right. It is completely left out of all of the TV the film and versions, film right. adaptations for extraordinarily good reasons. I don't even think Stephen King understands why the fuck it got in there except for cocaine and a lack of editing. Y'all, as I don't care how powerful you get as an author and how many books you sell for a company, you need an editor. An editor is always good and needed. And an editor would have said, yo, Stevie So what purpose baby. did the sex scenes serve in the book? To bring them all together. So this was their bonding experience? It was a bonding experience. Beverly puts out for all the kids. Yeah, it seems like they're all bonded to her, but not necessarily to each other. Okay. I d- it, it, not to mention, the character of Beverly Marsh is abused by her father. Uh-huh. And constantly he is slut-shaming her for behaviors that she does not take right. part in. Okay. Why would she all of a sudden let six dudes run a train on her? She wouldn't. That's well, the answer. That's she wouldn't. I don't know that running a train is an appropriate metaphor. It's in not. This case. It's like she seems to be inviting them, from my understanding. She is. Into some sort of like, and I, I think I understand that if you're looking at this as some I would kind actually of, believe well, well, it from the adult. I'm, if you're looking at this as some part of, as he keeps referring to parts of mythology, and he does refer to the turtle, he does refer to the spi- mm-hmm. these ancient symbols, the idea of a vestal virgin or someone who initiates you into the mysteries, that's actually a thing. So if that's what he was hearkening to, I would understand it. The fact that it's done with 12-year-olds is... It's the part that's disturbing. deeply problematic. And I don't know, having read, listened to what you, um, I guess, uh, Priestess of Venus rather than Vestal Virgin, but l- listening yeah, to what she's you... she's definitely not any kind of virgin. That's not... To what you read last week um, about the description of the woman in... In misery. Misery, it also sounds like there's basic, there's a kind of basic masculinity in his head about women and that might have been something that's evolved over time and that you don't get a sense of with his earlier stuff. Yeah, that's possible. Um, now this book, let me see when this book was published. Mm-hmm. I, I believe this book was published in the heat of the cocaine. I, I do think... Now, he, no, when was Tommyknockers done? Because he claims later. not to have remembered that at all. Later than that. Okay. Later than this. So I that's believe. a very deep... 1986 movie. novel of the same name. So... Okay. Uh, and this is also where we're getting into, in the movies that we're watching at least, more of the overarching Stephen king verse. Okay. So we're we're deep in dairy and dairy. We come back to a number of times. Something's right. rotten in dairy, and it draw it draws other rotten, rotten things. things. But these are ideas that he was exploring already in Salem's Lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. The idea that the house attracts other evil things. So. Right. Um, and did that get it later on incorporated in any way into the Stephen King universe or the Salem's Lot? Yeah, the idea yes, of the house. Yes, characters of uh, from Salem's Lot, specifically, I believe the priest, mm-hmm. um, uh, are brought up in other things. But I don't. I, we talked about it. I yeah, think, we talked about it at the time. But I was just wondering the Marsden house is some sort of ley line. Um, uh, it's possible. I don't. I don't it know. It seems like it operates that way. Like mm-hmm. there's, yeah. But Derry and Castle Rock are, you know, the two hubs, of course. But Derry is, you know, and and we learn the history of Derry in in this 
book. And these kids come up again in uh, almost a throwaway scene in 112263, which I actually don't know if it made it into the miniseries. Uh-huh. We'll see. Uh, but it's it it's a way to link the time. Uh-huh. So, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, about that sex scene, one last thing. It would have made more sense to me to have them do it as adults. Right. Because they've been separated and have to come back and reform this bond mm-hmm. that they've literally forgotten over the past 20, is it 27? It's usually 27 or 28 years. Uh and they're grown adults and would know what they were doing. <laughs> so, but in 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 for our purposes, right? Didn't happen. Doesn't happen. Well, never happens. Do you feel like there's allusions to that at times when you're watching either version of it? Like there's, um, I don't think so. And not I not like it think... happens off screen, but that there's some sort of acknowledgement on the filmmaker's behalf where they're sort of like, yeah, we know this goes there, but we're not going to do it. Yeah, I'm wondering. Like, I was contemplating trying to find it in the text. Right. But do I want to do that? No, you don't. <laughs> I'm not, know, not on I the air. I don't want to read right. it. We're going to read tonight's episode of The Late Comers. We're going to describe <sighs> so lots of early coming, I guess, or teenagers. <laughs> so the part one of this miniseries, largely, the, the story takes place in 1960 and 1990. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, in the miniseries, does in it take that way that in the book, or is it very strictly divided uh, into two halves? In the book, it goes back and forth. Okay, so the, very much like the film. Very much like the film. Um, let me pull. I'll pull up the table of contents, um, and I can kind of give you. Right. So part one is the shadow before 1957, uh, then 1984, 1985. So that's the first part, and then Dairy, the first interlude, and then June of 1958. So, the book and the and the movie both start earlier, slightly earlier, with right. a catastrophic event, um, and in the current with a catastrophic event that mirrors it. And then there's no time jump in the fu- in the future part, but there's a time jump in the past part. Um, there's a flood in 1957, which is when Georgie, Bill's little brother, is. Killed uh-huh. by it. <laughs> it is what kills him, and then the the story actually takes place this the summer of nineteen fifty eight. So mm-hmm. some time has passed okay. before you know. So Bill isn't. I mean, he's torn up about the death of his brother, but it's not a, a minute ago. It's okay. six months to a year ago. Uh. And then all of part two is June of 1958. All of part three is Grown Ups. All of part four is July of 1958. And then part five is the Ritual ritual of Chud, which is, I believe, all... Chud? Yeah. Well, you know. The whole thing about this story uh-huh. is it circles around what we believe. Okay. They believe that these things are going to work, and so they work. That that's that's it. I mean, the things that they do, there's no way would kill a powerful being, mm-hmm. except that 
they believe that that's what's going to happen. Right. So that's what happens. And we'll get sort of more into that. Okay. So we open with, y'all, this was rough for me. Jonathan Brandis plays Bill. He is our stuttering hero. He is also the love of my 10 through 15-year-old life. And he, his whole existence makes me deeply sad. Um, he was two years older than me. I had a huge crush on him for a very long time. I'm getting a sense. <laughs> so um, I didn't know he was in this. And I was like, oh, no, well, <laughs> I'm going to cry. Before we go on, the casting, mm-hmm. the idea of casting Richard Thomas and Jonathan Brandis as the same character was genius. Yes. And the fact that they actually added... Richard Thomas's birthmark yeah. on his cheek was <laughs> another stroke of genius because yes. they do look a lot alike. The casting in this is fantastic. Right. And and I will say the same thing when we get to the current adaptation. Right. I think the casting in the current adaptation is yeah. very, very good as well. Um, but yes, so Bill is sick in bed. He, he uh, makes his brother a toy boat to go out and play. In the sunniest rainstorm that ever was. Yes. Ooh, y'all, I was mocking it, and then it got, like, super bad. Because mm. it's clearly this kid is just getting a hose sprayed over him as rain. Like, that's what's happening. Because sun is streaming down out of yes. the sky. And... It's kind of, You're like, well, maybe it's just breaking through and this, that, and the other. But then, George, his, his boat goes bloop into the drain pipe uh-huh. and what's in there it's a clown and the clown is talking to george and then we switch our views to look out at george from the drain pipe and it is the bluest of blue skies behind this child's head and i was just like woof because <laughs> like, it is still pouring rain down right. and george doesn't want to talk to this clown because george does not know this clown and was told by his father stranger danger not Stranger Danger, not 1957 or 1960. Absolutely was not Stranger Danger, but I shouldn't talk to strangers. Pennywise introduces himself and says, you are George, and now we know each other. And if you come down here, or come get this balloon, you'll float with me, because down here we all float. And then his teeth get super sharp, and then he rips off George's arm, and George dies. Uh, He doesn't rip it off in this version. He grabs his arm. You don't see it. It says that his it arm alludes, is ripped. Right. It says it later. You now, don't see it. This is this is where I think the movie or this film version doesn't succeed in that there are so many restrictions placed on it. It's because it's a primetime miniseries. Yes, so. and it is. That, that's the problem, is that there's so many restrictions placed on it that they're constantly cutting away. The kids, yeah. every once in a while, somebody lets out a damn it or that bastard, and I'm sure that was shocking in 1990 for television standards. As opposed to the kids in the recent one, there are, you know, let loose, or even the kids in uh, Stand By Me, who felt yeah. more authentic. Well, that was also, I believe, an R-rated. Yeah, when people are so. scared shitless, they say the word shit. It's true. Even because children, not, it would maybe just be especially children, less. So, so yeah. yes, okay. And then we have another scene of a young girl playing in her, um. 
I, this might have come first. I think so. Actually, we first, that's how we first. This meet. is the opening. A young girl yeah. playing in her yard. Her mom's doing the laundry, and she goes. She says, "You know, come up, whatever." And her mom goes back in and comes back out, and then tries to find her daughter. And her daughter is ostensibly dead. She sees something and screams, and mm-hmm. then we see a body bag getting willed, willed away. And at the same time, we see Tim Reed, yay! Who right. I was like, why haven't I seen? T- I saw Tim Reed every day of my life for yeah. many decades, and then I have not seen him at all. So we had to do some research on the Reeds. They're doing just fine. They're doing lovely. <laughs> but um, Tim Reed... He was a great, great performer. Mm-hmm. And a really personable actor. He's our black character, y'all. Yeah. We have a black character. <clears throat> and I would have to say again... One black a, character, one lady character. One Jewish character. One Jewish character. Yeah, so the minorities are representing the population of Derry. I think that the improvement over the more recent film is the fact that he is taking the right place. Yeah, well, this is the accurate Mm -hmm. Mike from the book. Right, which is the... the, Because I really felt like, having seen this version, or at least part of it, I really wanted to see something that was an anomaly. Even nowadays, we don't see these intelligent black kids. It's usually the the tough kid or the street smart kid. This was the kid who was the book-loving nerd. Yeah, he was. And so the more recent film version really takes that... Eschews that a little bit. And and let's talk about that when we get to that one. But I would agree with you. They kind of, they give the historian role to the fat kid, not Mm -hmm. the black kid. I do like the way that they... No, I won't. I'll talk about it when Uh we talk about the, the, the new it. But, so... Tim Reed is nosing around, and the police are like, I need you to not nose around. And he's like, I'm just a concerned citizen. Concerned. So he is the librarian. Uh, later, we'll also find out that he, he has um, a bunch of research on dairy and had done that as a child, um, so knows the history of dairy. But he's the only one that lives in dairy now. Mm-hmm. And he realizes that what they had dealt with when they were kids is back because at the site of this little girl's um, murder is a picture of Georgie, which should not in any way be there from 30 years before. So he's like, okay. Gotta make some phone calls. And this is when he does sort of a round robin for all the people who are originally part of this group. Yes. And so the way that this is structured is largely we're just seeing what happened in the summer of, uh-huh. we'll say, 1960, with interstitials of Mike calling each of the mm-hmm. characters that we It's actually very cleverly meet. structured. And then they it flash is. back on their experience of why... Because it seems as if, and again, this is somebody who hasn't read the book, um, that they are, like, he has to pull it from their memory. Yes. Well, he has to pull it or push it or, yes, Mm -hmm. because uh, as he's making these phone calls, it becomes apparent. And and Mike knows that this is what's going to happen off the bat. I'm going to call them and they're not going to know who I am for a second. Yeah. Like, they're just going to, it's going to be completely wiped from their memory right. to the point where the first call he makes is do you want to do all the kid stuff or the well let's do them one at a time all right, we'll, sure. we'll do it one at a time so the first call he makes is to bill B- 
Bill is our Jonathan Brandis, mm-hmm. um, stuttered as a child, does not as an adult. His, he's played by Richard Thomas, as he's, as you said, living in England right now. They are, he is a writer. They are shooting a movie that he has written. Is this the Stephen King? Yes, this is the Stephen King day? surrogate. <laughs> surrogate? Yes. And he's married to Olivia, Olivia Hussey. Olivia Hussey. Which is a terrible name. Olivia Hussey was a teenage actress who was pulled by producer-director Franco Zeffirelli to play Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. And then... Which is why I had a huge crush on her. Her next film role was playing the Virgin Mary in Jesus of Nazareth. Now you can't have a crush on her anymore. I just felt so wrong. Hey, listeners, just so you all know, he still has a crush on her. Very conflicted about (laughs) this. It's like, oh, she's so... She's the mother of God. I can't. No. So she is Pray his actress. Pray in the hour of our death. Go on. She is his actress wife. Uh-huh. And he answers the phone. They're talking about, you know, work and whatever. Mm-hmm. And he answers the phone and Mike says, it's Mike. And Bill, like, starts to stutter immediately. And also does a thing where he puts his hand to his head, which means something's going on with his brain, because you can't be like, the memories are flooding back. I can't, there's no visual right. way to, to tell you this. And he's, and Mike says, you didn't know who I was for a second, did you? Yeah. And then Bill's like, no, I didn't, but it's kind of, like I'm getting there. And he's like, it's back. Remember the promise you made. Will you come back? And he's then Bill says yes. And that's basically the extent of Mike's conversations. It's basically hear the sound of my voice. Remember what you said. Are you gonna come? Can I count on you for a vote? Well, this is <laughs> this is kind of what I liked about it because this happens in turn to all the yes. The we're gonna characters. go through each of them. Yeah. Um, but I like the idea that it again becomes very mythological. It's like these are the knights of the round table, mm-hmm. and they've forgotten what they were. Mm-hmm. Or it also references, I think, in some ways, the Chronicles of Narnia. Yes, where I think so. outside of Narnia, these are just ordinary kids. When yep. they come back, they have this incredibly important mission to unify mm-hmm. this kingdom. Mm-hmm. But outside of it, they're like, "What? Wait, I barely and remember also, doing that." And also, it's not like it's something that they can explain to their spouses. Right. I gotta go. Why? A kid from 30 years ago from my hometown just called me out Mm -hmm. of the blue and I need to leave immediately. No, you can't come and no, I can't tell you why. Well, that really does seem fishy. What? Yeah. And Bill says, my brother died. Like he says that. He says, Georgie died. And his wife has never heard of George. Well, also that Georgie was murdered. I think that was well, yes, significantly. But he forgot yes. all of that. He put it all out of his head. And whether he put it out of his or head... Or something put it out of his something head. Something put out of his head. Because that's what we get when they're kids is, why are we the only ones seeing these things? Mm-hmm. And they come up with the idea that, well, when you grow up, you forget right. about the scary stuff of when you were a kid. Okay. Um, which is one of these things that they speak and then it happens. It's not necessarily a thing that they figured out, um, which I'll get into with the silver later. Uh, so Bill, much to over the protests of um, his wife, starts packing and gets on a plane. Uh-huh. Like he's like, yeah, I gotta go. And yeah, as you said, 
Richard Thomas has a birthmark, birthmark on his face, uh, and young Jonathan Brandis has right. a little smudgy on his face. <laughs> it's very cute. Um, okay, next, and then we we see Bill, and Bill's. Um, then yeah, we're gonna go back in time for a little while. So Bill and Eddie are best friends. Eddie is an asthmatic youth. A slight asthmatic youth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, Ben Hanscom is a new kid in town. He is the fat kid who literally in two years is just a football player. Well, yeah, there's a lot of, he's the <laughs> fat kid. It's like he's not a fat kid. He gets getting called Porker and Haystack, which is, to me, was funny growing up when I did. Uh -huh. um, there was a wrestler called Haystack Calhoun. Right. He was essentially just a heavy set guy yeah. in a bib overall and he would smock and knock people down with his big arm and that was his move. That was his move. And so that was a common like nickname for, for kids big, who were big. A big Haystack. Kid, a chunker. Right. So um, Ben is uh, tormented by bullies. Mm -hmm. He's new in town. He's tormented by bullies uh, these are bullies that will uh, come up uh, repeatedly. So let's go into that real quick. Of greasers. Uh, Henry Bowers is uh -huh. a main kid. I swear to God, might be related to one of the kids from Stand by Me, but it's fine. And he's got friends: Victor, Chris, and Belch Huggins. Now, Victor and Belch are almost hangers-on. Right. They're not as doltish as some of the other. Gang well, members that we've seen, like in Christine and things the like that. Whole defining characteristic of Belch is that he belches. Well, it's not his real name. And He's like I know 12. that, but at, at several <laughs> points in the film, he does belch. He does. Right. So, but but neither of them are psychotic. Mm -hmm. Whereas Henry might be psychotic right. because Henry pulls out a knife. The mm -hmm. first time that he catches Ben off of school grounds and is going to carve into his stomach something, words, right. into his stomach. And his friends both are like, well, don't really cut him. And Henry had every intention right. of breaking skin with this knife. Um, ben sort of throws himself backwards down a ravine uh -huh. <laughs> to get away from it's them. And... Uh, comes upon, uh, well, he comes upon a, what's it called? Like a drainage ditch and right. hides inside of that, like a, a pipe, a drain pipe, right. um, into the, uh, what do they call it? That area that they're all playing in. I had one of those really po poetic names like the flats or the marsh or. Yeah, it's something like that. The mushy. The big mushy. Uh, the big mushy. Uh, where there's a creek. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, he sees the other kids, but he hides in the drain pipe. And the other kids, uh, the uh, bullies, come upon Bill and Eddie, who are trying to build a dam, mm -hmm. and uh, harass them. So are we going to go back and forth? Because we've lost track of where we are with the adults. Well, that we haven't gotten to the other adults yet. That's what I'm saying. I want to mm -hmm. introduce right. them, and then I'll, I'll talk about their calls. So um, then the three of them meet up, and Be Bill has to go get a re re refill of the inhaler that Eddie has, because Eddie is so 
worked up. He right. and he and he can't get any of his medicine. So Bill rides off and uh, goes to get that. And and Ben befriends Eddie, who at the end of this uh, is totally fine and talking totally normally. By the time Bill gets back, and still requires right. a hit on this inhaler. Um, so then these three are friends, and they're going to meet up through the summer. Like he joins the group now. Now we can go to the calls. I think the next call we get is to Ben. Right. Um, and Ben is played, old Ben, adult Ben, is played by John Ritter, uh, America's favorite. He's America's sweetheart. We love him very much. We're very sad that he is also dead. Why are all these people dead? <laughs> it's This movie wasn't that long ago, but we've got two dead characters already, or two dead actors already. Um, rest in peace, John Ritter who I always want to call Jack. It's a threes company right. curse. So John Ritter is <laughs> what we know immediately is an alcoholic, an architect and good at his job. <laughs> he is, uh, just received some sort of architect award. It's this beautiful piece of exposition where he is with a woman in the back of a limousine drunk and he drops this glass award, uh-huh. and she goes, "Oh no, your architect award!" <laughs> and now, I'm like, "Well, I took that. Her that's character <laughs> appears to be um, attempting to be Sophia Loren. I, I don't think there's know. like some sort of dark-haired she... Italian actress in a taffeta dress, <laughs> yes, with wild. lots of cleavage, and so." They clearly don't know each other. Right. This she is... clearly is not an English as a first language right. person. So that's why I thought the arc. Oh no, your architect award has fallen. But it was just. Take me now. It was I, I don't know. so funny because <laughs> yeah. it was just like, how do we yada yada how where he is? And right. his, we know he's successful and that he's an architect. I believe he's in New York. Um, we do get place locations right, for okay. them, and yeah. I believe he is in New York. So they end up going to his. Loft, it's a it's a big space. Right. I don't know. And they're making out, and he's wearing a bolo tie. It's all great. And then the phone rings. And then he is brought back to reality by Mike on the other end of the line. And immediately he's like, I, we can't do this. I have to pack and go. So he's packing and going. That's basically all we get of Ben as an adult. We get we keep we go back to Richard Thomas a couple of times, right? But we we don't get we much don't from get him. much from any of the other adults. We get basically a scene of each of them. So then we've got Ben in, and we've got. I think Beverly is next. Yes, I think that's right. So, in the the kids, um, on that first day of Ben's, I think it's the last day of school. No, it can't be. They're talking about how it's summer, but also they're in school. Right. So. There's an overlap. There's a. There's I think a what we're getting is that we're thing. getting yeah because they they do appear in school yeah. at some points um, and they're already a gang or they're already a group. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm not sure how the timing ends up working, no. but. Um, Ben instantly has a crush on Beverly. Because Beverly talks to him. She's a girl who says hello. He had noticed her before, though. But then, yes, she is nice to him. Um, And he writes her a little poem and leaves it in her post office. I mean, puts it, leaves Uh it in her little mailbox. 
and she finds it and she reads it and then her dad finds it right and rips it up and says you sh- you're you're doing things you shouldn't her be dad, with those who boys. He looks like he came out of the Dust Bowl. He looks like a character he from the Grapes like of Wrath. He looks like a scarecrow. <laughs> he is, right? yeah. It's just I'm looking at him as like, oh, he's part of the Jode family, right? Yeah. He's, he's the one and, they left behind in the Dust and, Bowl. Yes. So other than being an abusive fuck, what we know about him also is that he is a janitor because um, Beverly is pushed around by some other girls because they're like, ugh, some people have no manners. Some people's fathers are or some people's parents are janitors. It's it's real gross, y'all. Work is work, and all work should be respected. Fuck you, ladies. <laughs> um, and let's see. So let's go to Beverly in the current. Right. This is this is Annette Annette O'Toole. Uh-huh. Is that her name? Uh, Who is a really? I love her. She is very talented. Yes. She started out, the first time I saw her, doing a musical with Barry Manilow for television. Oh, wow. I didn't she know. Sang, she sang. I forgot that she was a singer. That's everything. right. Yeah. And then she was uh, the first um, Lana Lang. Oh, that's right. I In did Superman know that. 3. And yeah. then wound up playing Superman's mother in Smallville. Yes. Yes. I so she's, she's actually just, she's a terribly funny person and she has lots of, lots of hidden talents. She, and she is. Hasn't been used enough. What is she? Domestically abused? A fashion designer. Right. And she works with a boyfriend, it's not her husband, uh-huh. who is, let's be surprised here, by about a girl who was abused by her father, abusive. Mm-hmm. So she gets a call from Mike and is instantly like, I'm going to pack up. Now we see one scene of her at work where he is really kind of using her like a prop. Well, he's also, in a way, I, I believe I that she probably has a great deal of talent and that mm-hmm. he's exploiting that. Yeah. It's a real big eyes Also, situation. there's an interesting um, moment when they're putting on a presentation for some Japanese businessmen, uh-huh. which was very big at the time, I have to say. Yeah, well. So. And when she's presented to them, she has the presence of mind to bow and introduce herself, and he has no idea what to do. So that little detail, like, he like didn't she even does bother to do his research. <laughs> you know, right. It's like, why yeah. are these Japanese people staring at me? Oh, I haven't introduced myself and I haven't bowed. And yeah. It's like he didn't even bother to do the bare minimum of finding out how to deal why with another he? culture. He's a mediocre white man. Right. And who appears to have some sort of like growth of tribbles of, from the back of his neck to it's his head. It's just not a good hair situation. It's, yeah. yeah. It's the time. Um, and, but then later we see them and they are in bed together, so mm-hmm. presumably in a relationship. Um, and she gets this call from Mike and immediately is like, I got to go. And he's like, absolutely not. And, well, he slaps her across the face. And then he goes on a tirade about how it's been too long. He's been too lenient. lenient. She doesn't know her place and what a good girl should act like. And he goes to the closet and gets a belt. And literally he's like, it's been too long. And I'm like, oh, no. And she starts chucking shit at him. And she's well, like, fuck, do not touch me. I am done. This is over. And if you ever put another hand on me, you're going to die. Now, in the book, it's a knockdown drag out, if I recall uh-huh. correctly. But it's a television miniseries. Well, so. Also, the, you know, there was so much violence in here. Yeah. There's a cumulative effect that the censor was going to look at. I, um, I wished it had been more violent, but again, understanding that, uh, I like she gets the fact real low and like feral though. Right. She. Acts I like the, the fact really that well. she does like this phone call snaps that part of her brain that yep. makes her remember that she's a monster killer. Yep. 
it's like you suddenly remember, oh, I'm Buffy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. So that was, I like that element of it. And she does, she gets very feral. She looks like she probably will take her throat out with her teeth. Yes. But, um, but yeah, the, the, I appreciate that scene. I wish that the guy would have gotten more of a comeuppance, although <coughs> let's not underestimate how hard um, a bottle of cold cream can hit you in the face. Yes, yes. So um, then Ben and Beverly are introduced as children to mm-hmm. Eddie and Bill's other friends, and that's Stan, Richie, Stan and Richie. Now, the introduction, especially of Stan, seemed haphazard, because for a while I was like, I don't even remember what this kid's name is, mm-hmm. and they have not told me what it is yet. So, um, Richie is the comedian, grows as a child, played by Seth Green. Right. So good. With also really seems weirdly hair. tall. Really whipped hair. His hair is just... Like th- sculpted. Yeah, but it was he's crazy. got a tight curl like that so I, but yeah, at was, that age you did right. it grows out well i think what happened is that seth green um never grew any larger than that's he was. the thing this might be the uh, tallest he yeah, ever I like think it might be and he hit this at a young age so he seems i was like that's not seth green because he's too tall but then i'm like wait they're all 12 and none of them have reached right. mature height except maybe him uh and he grows up and is uh harry anderson who is a famous comedian. He mm-hmm. is uh, currently uh, guest hosting The Late Show. Like, right. this is how... Yeah. We're talking about all of these kids have grown up to be now, extremely powerful and successful. I understand that for people in our audience, they don't understand, they might not understand, some of them might not understand, the power of what the being the host of The Late Show was. No, I think but, that everybody knows how... how how famous Jimmy Fallon is. Right. I think everybody knows but they that. Were fra- it's fractured now. Well, it is. But there was a time when Johnny Carson was the only person he watched late at night, and that's kind of what they were referring yeah. to, that level of comedian here, yeah. where everyone watched The Tonight Show and talked about it the next day. Right. So he's, he's the Joan yeah. Rivers, because he right. isn't hosting it. He's yeah. guest hosting it. Um, but he, and he's in Beverly Hills, yeah. and he when he gets this call from Mike after a set... Mm-hmm. He immediately is like, I got to go. And his manager is like, I mean, we've been through a lot. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and and he goes, a great move. Puts your glasses on. He puts his... <laughs> I would have laughed in his fucking face. Like, <laughs> it's like, that's Richie how you shut up this a, conversation. As a way to get this conversation to end, they are in his Beverly... Like, like in, a, in the like patio. Like a courtyard or something? Yes, of yeah. his Beverly Hills um, mansion, where there's definitely a pool... It is nighttime, and it is probably morning. It is probably right. like one in the morning. Right. And when he is done talking to his manager, like he will not be answering any other questions, he puts on a pair of sunglasses, and I would have laughed in his face. Like, what are you doing? That is not. Well, now, mind you, your discourse is failing. I was you. part of an argument between two coworkers. Or one was listening to the radio, and her way out of the conversation was just to turn the volume up while the other one was speaking yeah, to her. So this too. is a, this is an this old is, school move. Y'all are children. <laughs> yeah. So that happens, and okay, so that's um, Richie Seth Green as a youth, um, and Harry Anderson as an adult. Another. Unfortunate passing. 
right. in this. It's like there's a goddamn curse. It's not. It's the just curse this of, movie's it, been around for a long time. Although all of these people died way, died too, way young. too young. All of them so far. So I stand by it. And finally, we have Jewish Boy Scout Stan Uris. Um, and that's pretty much how he's introduced. Jewish Boy Scout. He's a Jew. <laughs> we like that. We, yes. These are both forward-facing parts of his personality. Right. Both a Jewish and a Boy Scout, because when he is scared, he just repeats the Boy Scout oath. Over well, on and top over of that, over he's over. wearing a Boy Scout uniform almost entire throughout the length of he his flashbacks. So, as a child, he's played by Ben Heller. Uh-huh. Who's Ben Heller, you ask? He's Stan Uris in this movie, and literally nothing else. That is what that is who he is. As an adult, he's played by Richard Mazur, uh-huh. who is one of my favorite actors. Right. I really like Richard Mazur a lot. Now. Stan, when he gets the phone call, he He doesn't doesn't take it well. well. No, he does not. He basically says he can't make any promises. And he starts sort of pulling at his, like anxiously pulling at at himself. Uh And he tells his wife that he is going to take a bath. And he goes and he takes a bath. Mm. And that is the last bath that he will ever take. Later at the end of this episode, towards the end of the episode, she goes to check on him and he has committed suicide in the bathtub and written it in blood on the wall. Uh, So he does not make it to the reunion. My French is terrible. I think it's based on the death of Marat, the painting. Marat? Marais? I don't know. But it's a very carefully articulate, a very carefully sculpted sculpted scene of the bathtub Uh, and and again it's it's less bloody than it should be given the fact that this is for tv like "Ah, yes yeah yeah. but it is written out in blood right and that's and she screams and that is and that to me that's the saddest part of this first episode is the fact that those two seem to be very happy they did. They were. He was teasing her about having children, yeah. and that it was about time they have kids, and they seem to be a silly, happy couple. Yes. But what we he learned was about wearing a bow tie. What's right. not to love about that? Uh, that character, though, and there's a consistent through line with him from the the child performer, yes. is that he his way of dealing with things is just to ignore them. Yep. He's like that. Lo- that logically doesn't make sense, and therefore I nope. I don't have space in my worldview for it. Right. And too many things that it shows them are, right. are outside of that worldview, and it rocks him well, deeply. The world of it is very faith-based in a way. Yeah, I would say it's that. It's based on pe- not a specific faith as much as people's faith in what they're doing will work. It's right. a faith in... And that's still also what the creature preys on. Um, with Stan, he's a strictly logical thinking person, so... When something doesn't fit, including the point when he actually sees the creature itself, his reaction is, okay, if all of you want me to say that I saw it, I saw it. Yeah. Yep. And he doesn't ever, like, he still never, yeah, and it well, reaches for his face thing, yes. out of a book, out and he's book. still like, he's I like, don't see it, I don't know what you're talking about, that's nope. impossible. Uh, and so that's the six mm-hmm. that I have scattered and we still haven't seen them meet Mike. No, we missed one. No. We missed uh, or we didn't describe um uh, Eddie as a adult. 
Oh, yes. Because there's an element of that that I'm curious about. Mm-hmm. Is and I don't know if it's a part of the book or something. Is he homosexual? I don't know. Because he seems to have a really close relationship with I, the other oh, guy that he's talking to yes. in the back of the... I but don't know if they're business partners I or... think that they are business partners. I don't know if he's homosexual. Um, I don't think in the movie we're supposed to take one way or right. the other other than he is at the behest of his overbearing mother and right. always has and been. And still is, yeah. It's yes. funny because you meet his mother in the past and she doesn't like the fact that he's running around with these... With anybody, right? But specifically, these kids. She has a There's line. There's a black person and uh-huh. a girl and uh-huh. a Jew. No, <laughs> like, and a Jew. Oh like, Jesus! The what the hell? It's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so he and and he she constantly is like, you need to rest. Mm-hmm. You're not. You're sick. You're not. You know. You're not well. You need to take care of yourself. This and the other. And this stays. This this lasts into adulthood. But he gets this phone call and. um Immediately, he's like, "I gotta bounce," and right. he's going to Penn Station, so he's gonna take a. I don't know when I, I saw the two. I just got the idea that that was an implied relationship. I don't know that's the case. I don't. I I didn't. It would have been nice I for the diversity of the program, but I yeah. Again, I can't read that into it because there's differences, and I've never read what the source material was. Yeah, and his um his job is uh limo. He wants a limo service, right? And apparently, a successful one because Pacino right. is one of their clients, so. Uh, let's like we got the soundproof. Name. <laughs> we have the soundproof limousine for Pacino. Yeah. So. So they're all coming except Stanley, who did not give mm-hmm. give his uh, sort of consent. And then we are um, with the kids. They're building dams. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, Mike, the black kid, is harassed by Henry Bowers and is running away from them and runs into the 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 group, who are trying to sort of name themselves. <laughs> They're right. trying to come up with like a little group name. A cool name. For themselves. And um, he runs up to them and, and basically begs them for help. I'm like, they are, these children will tie this kid to a truck and drive him through this town. Like, right. this is the, this kid's life might right. literally be in danger right now. And they uh, start a fucking rock fight, which is wild. Yes. This, this led to an interesting <laughs> discussion about rock fights and how this was a thing once upon a time. I don't know if it still it is. Seems so dang- it, it seems so dangerous. It is really dangerous. a way for a child to die. Right. I, why I mean, are we... It was a constant source of danger. I, I, you know, I told... Um, I did say that we did throw uh, yeah. clods of dirt at each other, and I guess you don't know if there is a rock in there, right. so... But we did keep it sort of below the, yeah. like the stomach, like the chest right. area and down. And there was no, no I've actually been in rock ends. fights where you are taking shelter behind things. There are pieces of asphalt flying at your head. Yes, I know somebody, as we discussed the Stop. other day, who almost got brained by one. But, yeah. Um, no. but yeah, it's it's. But <laughs> and it, but this this fight ends up being six against. Or seven against fewer than seven. It was more With than three. three. Four. It might have been four or five. Because they take off. They are not. They end up. Bolting. And when Beverly gets hit, um, is Ben. Yeah. Ben actually puts all that bulk to use and yes. beats the hell out of Bauer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. Well, eventually learning how to use that size is going to yeah. come in handy, and he does. It's yeah. Pretty funny. And they end up basically being like, now Mike's one of us. Right, all, but and they get called the Losers Club by Henry Bowers' right group, but and then they go they on call with each it. other. They call themselves the Lucky Seven, right? 
Um, and then they're talking amongst themselves. Now, some things are happening. Ben, of course, loves Beverly, but Beverly loves Bill. Loves Bill. The longing looks that a 12-year-old Beverly gives to a 12-year-old Bill are epic. Uh, and they all have, you know, being bullied by Henry Bowers in common, but the other thing that they discover that they have in common is that they've all seen this clown, Pennywise the Clown. And, um, so they're looking, Mike has shared his history scrapbook of dairy, uh, uh, that day at school, which was supposed to be in July. I'm very confused by this timeline. (laughs) I didn't even notice while we were watching it. And then I was like, wait, how are they in school and not in school at the same time? Uh, maybe they're doing you know, short day, I don't know, whatever. Anyways, the uh, they're going through his scrapbook, and he's like, you know, like every 30 years, shit goes down in this town. Right. And so they, it's like a cicada. They find pictures of Pennywise right. from 200 years ago and from 70 years ago, or, you know, whatever the, the, the chunks of time are. And um, one of them, one of the pictures, like Harry Potter's itself and comes alive and Pennywise comes up through the photo and almost comes out of the picture. And uh, this is, yeah, when Stanley is like, I mean, if you want me to say I saw it, I saw it. I'm like, you saw it. But okay, I saw it, you saw it. So they start referring to this monster as it because it has no gender and it isn't human. Uh, And Bill realizes that it murdered Georgie and that they have to do something about it. And meanwhile, they've all had these interactions. So like Eddie was told by his mother not to shower after gym so he didn't get the germs of the other kids. But the gym teacher is like, you need to shower because when you go to gym, you sweat. And then after you sweat, you have to shower. So you have to shower. So he goes into shower by himself. And all of the showers in a very similar shower situation to Carrie, a shower situation that I did not have when I was in any level of school. Uh, They certainly weren't having a shower at 12, but that's fine. Um, the showers all turn on to hot and sort of extend out of the wall. It's very phallic looking. And then the the drain, he hears Pennywise in the drain, and then Pennywise like opens the drain from underneath right. in a ve- like in a stop motiony right. kind of way. It looks really cool actually, and comes out. But then he's, I don't. I don't remember he why. Threatens he threatens a little boy. He threatens him, but he doesn't get him. He doesn't him. get him. And um Beverly is in the in her bathroom. Right, and there's and there a balloon comes up through the sink and explodes and blood is all over the place. And she screams and calls her dad to come in and she's got blood spatter all over herself. The uh-huh. sink is covered in blood, and he comes in and is like, What? He can't see any of it. And she's like, Oh, I th- thought I saw a spider come up through, but I guess there isn't a spider. I guess it went away or whatever. And meanwhile, there's blood everywhere. Now, we don't see her cleaning it in the in new the remake, one. that becomes a huge They have the, the kids come, yeah. and all of them can see it. 
and all of them clean it up. And I think that's what happens in the book as well. Um, but we don't see the sort of resolution to that. A similar thing happens to Bill. He's in Georgie's room and he's flipping through a scrapbook and a picture of Georgie winks at him and then blood starts coming up out of the scrapbook yeah. and is all over the place and his parents just pick it up and move it around like getting we see blood everywhere they don't see it but bill sees it and let's see richie tozier i think has the funniest one yes. which is he runs into uh the ghost of michael landon i don't know no. he runs into the werewolf they, they're in a yes. theater earlier watching um i was a teenage werewolf yes which was a roger corman movie and the debut of Michael Landon. I didn't know it was his debut. As a teenage werewolf. His first, I think, lead um, role. And he later on sees a werewolf in the basement of the school. Yes. But because he's such a... And there's a very neat kind of intersection of things there. One of which is that he runs out of the basement saying there's a werewolf in the basement. So he literally becomes the boy who cried wolf. Yes. And the other thing is, was pointed out to us by a friend who was watching it with us, is that Seth Green later goes on to play a werewolf, a werewolf in Buffy yeah. the Vampire yeah, Slayer. Spoiler so, alert for Buffy, y'all. It's very funny. Uh, yes. So um, his his interaction is always he sees him as a werewolf, uh-huh. and I don't remember Stan. I think it's just it's Pennywise. Yeah. But I don't know that we see him have an interaction outside of the groups. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, Which is a feature of the new film. They yeah. put a lot more emphasis on Stan. So Bill decides we got to go into the sewers and kill the creature. The way they're going to do it, slingshot. Are any of them good at slingshot? Why, yes, but only one of them. And who is it? It's Beverly. 10 for 10 on the knockouts. Uh, it's like it was meant to be her, they say. I'm like, yeah, it is like that. Uh, and then Richie has stolen these horrible, ugly chunks of silver that are supposedly earrings. I'm right. like, first of all, those would weigh like a pound each. You wouldn't hang those from your head. I but should that's hope fine. not. I mean, unless you're going to... You know, and they're like, this soup. is what will kill it. And... Beverly's like, what are you talking about? He's like, they're silver, that's what'll kill it. Like, just because we've said it. Because right. he believes that this thing, well, this thing has come to Richie as a werewolf. Right. So, silver is what kills werewolves. Silver is what's going to kill Pennywise. Or, was what's going to kill it. Because they speak it, so it is. And they go down into the sewers they go through the old ironworks where there had been an explosion that killed a ton of people some chunk of 30 years prior. And sure, we're in sewers, except we're definitely not in the sewers because there's no sewage coming through this. Like, uh, there, I, mm. we don't have things like this on the West Coast. These are these large underground passages that apparently only exist on the East Coast. Uh, we're going to go ahead and call them sewers, but once again, what would you call them? They're not sewers. There's no sewage running through these pipes. I think, I don't, there's this one structure on the outside that's about two or three stories tall. That's I the have, ironworks. I, but it's, 
And then there's a, it leads somehow directly into... Then they went down through a pipe, mm -hmm. and then there are these huge, bricked... It's like the catacombs of Paris under there. It's right. crazy. There is... The final confrontation takes place in a, in a place where there's like a four-way drain that yeah. runs into the center of the room. Mm -hmm. and Once again, I don't know. I don't think any of those are deep enough to actually be a runway for water. I don't... I think it might be less a sewer than a drainage area because it's built sure. on the very edge of like a swamp. Yes. And the swamp yeah. plays in it. Skeletons pop out of the swamp. Dead yeah. dads pop out of the swamp. So... And it's like just lily pads for days. Right. So I think that it might be drainage for that area. Okay. That could be what it is. Like for a flooding offset right. and things or like, like that. like a runoff. Yeah. And, um, and apparently the area floods a lot because the kids in Building the Dam managed to flood the town. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're stopped by... Uh, oh, Lord. Here we go. I think oh. the issue is that there are some shortcuts you take when you have 25 characters in the story. Oh. And so this is the most Irish cop... That ever Irished or cop. Except maybe for... What was that movie with... Uh, with Jim Carrey, the number 23, where oh, they have the yeah. Irish... No, the that was Irish the Irish priest. priest. <laughs> That's our dog. His name is Ned, but we around here, we call him Guardian of the Dead. It's like... It's a terrible nickname. And it's an Irish cop who shows up for... Three minutes in this Three movie, but it's like, movie. he might as well be like the most Irish. And he's Irish. like, right. what are you doing down I'm not doing the accent. I want to, but I'm not going yeah, to. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what are you doing down here? Actually, while I have you, you guys have to stay together because shit's going down. Kids are dying. We've, are, we've lost two children now. Uh -huh. Two more children. Kids are dying. So anytime you come down here, you mm -hmm. have to be together like you are now. Do you got it? You swear? Right. And I'm like, shouldn't your next sentence be that, like... Now, Scram? No, apparently not. He's just going to bounce. I'm He's like, the world's friendliest Irish cop. He's like, um, take apart the dam. Yeah. So they start taking apart the dam. But then he's like, yeah, he's like, he's legitimately like, no, I mean, this, we understand. There are bullies back there. If right. you guys are going to be down here, though, be, stay together. Because it's unlikely that seven of you will get taken at once. So they go down. And who sees them going down into the ironworks? Henry Bowers. Henry Bowers and his two buddies. So they're going to go with them to... Bowers has threatened to kill them. I don't know if his plan is to kill them, but mm -hmm. he's threatened to kill them. He threatened to kill them after the rock fight. He also threatened to cut his initials into a kid. And he was on the verge of cutting his initials into a kid. So I wouldn't put anything yeah, past no, him. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm like... I don't know. So Stan gets separated from the other seven or the other six and is uh, grabbed uh, by Bowers and Victor and Belch. But at that moment, it comes for them. Stan is able to get away and um, Belch is like sucked into a pipe in a really like I actually really like the way that. It grabs him about the hips and pulls him into a pipe that's far too small for his yep, body. Yep, and he folds himself so he in half. He literally folds in half. And, and gets pulled out yeah. away. And I actually really, that actually like that. That was creepy and effective. That and was then a... I was unclear as to what happened to Victor, but he's killed by. Mm -hmm. He's killed as well. And then Henry is traumatized to the point of his, all of his hair turned white. Right. Okay. Like that character in the Crash Test Dummy song. And Stanley regroups with the lure, uh, losers, and there is like this big. This is what I rewatched today because I was very confused. They're in this, yeah, where these four pipes come in, and this big 
glowing thing comes in and you right. can't see what it is and they all sort of take cover holding on to each other and they're all fine and then this mist starts to seep in and they all grab hands and they're like are you there are you there Do, who am i holding on to this that and the other and they go around and we hear georgie calling and bill wants to talk to him and beverly's like it's not him it's not him and then um it's replaced by her father and she's like it's not right you know, i'm not I, daddy i'm not i'm not doing anything wrong and then richie is like beverly there's nothing there and then you see the werewolf hands on his right. shoulders, and he's like, I said there's nothing there. Um, at which point then Stan's like, whose hand is this? And it's Pennywise's hand. We've got a Tim Curry sighting. Uh-huh. Y'all, have we not mentioned Tim Curry? We have not mentioned Tim Curry. Tim Curry plays Pennywise in this movie. He's the clown, the murderer. But he's doing a very kind of 50s, children's TV host kind of He also Bond weird. villain because uh-huh. he really likes to describe all of his plans to you in right. so many words which I took thought took away from the character a He reminds bit. me his, his vocal affectation reminds me of what's his name? Uh, the comedian from Blades of Glory What is his name? Will Ferrell? Will Ferrell doing Harry Carey Jr. Oh, okay. His, yeah, his weird imitation. So it's, I'm gonna it's kill Tim Curry doing Will Ferrell doing Harry Carey. <laughs> so the the oddest thing about it, or uh, well, and that's what I I said. Why is he talking so much? And the person we were watching with was like, "Well, when you hire Tim Curry, right. <clears throat> you pay him to talk." And I'm like, "Well, I mean, yeah, I guess." So. uh he yeah, there's a lot of Pennywise exposition that frankly I could really do without. I know that's probably sacrilegious, but here we are. And um then we take advantage the the losers realize that it can see or and they've already discussed this. Maybe yeah. it can see Ben says it. Maybe it can see what scares us most and that's right. what presents it to us. So we were like so Eddie smartly says, this is full of battery acid about his inhaler, and he sprays it in his face, and the thing starts melting. So now it is what we believe will happen to this thing will happen to this thing, because as its power against us is our imaginations, so our power against him is our imaginations. We have to believe it, and it will believe it. So... They it melts half of his face off. It's real rough. And then Beverly hits him with the silver earring in the forehead and a big fissure opens and light comes blasting out of it. And then she tries to do it again. Um, and I think she escapes. misses it. And yeah. he dives down a little. He's able to sort of mush himself into a smaller holes so there's a little drainage hole and he jumps into it and sort of like flushes himself a little bit like he sort of spins down it and it grabs bill arm bill's arm to pull him down too um but the glove comes off and it reveals this big three-fingered claw thing that then also disappears through the uh drain 
And then they all sort of argue, and they're like, it's dead. And Bill's like, we don't know that. we got to go after it. And I'm like, well, how are you going to go after it? Yeah, that is a very small luck. tube that it went through. And they were like, okay, well, if it's not dead, if it comes back, then we have to promise to come back and and fight it. Right. And that is where they, we end. That's where we end. Because this is now everyone getting together and fighting it. So what did you As think? As adults. What did you think of it? I, well... This it. Well, I don't know. If you're asking me about the movie so far, I'm very much enjoying it. Mm-hmm. If you're asking me about the monster, I'm not love. I don't love... I don't love the Tim Curry Pennywise. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I've seen that image so much. Uh-huh. It's not that scary to me. Right. Um, I, I like... I like the weird choice. He said he went with the Bronx accent to try to evoke a Catskills comic. It feels and so that's like a crusty. generation away from something that you would be familiar yes, with, is what I mean. But it feels yeah. like crusty because that's what he's doing. Right. And so I've got 30 years of The Simpsons. Right. Which really detracts from it. I, I'm going to make a bold statement and say The Simpsons ruins things. I remember sitting in a writing group with people who were only familiar with Ray yeah. Bradbury's Sound of Thunder or with a particular movie because it was parodying The Simpsons. I don't think it ruins things if you've had experience yeah, but if you with have the it, thing it's first. It's just like you've just had a lot of literature yeah. and really good filmmaking spoiled for you. I, I think that that's right. I think The Simpsons, if, if you know what it's parodying... Mm-hmm can enhance things but if the only thing you know is the simpsons version it does take things because then people are like well it's derivative well no it isn't it's not derivative of that simpsons episode that simpsons episode was doing it (laughs) so but you can't make people watch things in the correct order so uh i'm really enjoying the casting um Especially of the adults, but also give me that Jonathan Brandis all day long. I'm He's so a great excited. kid. Yep. Uh, it's cool to see Seth Green as like this weirdly tall child. <laughs> um, but I'm looking forward to the adult versions because uh-huh. I love a John Ritter. I love a Richard Thomas. I love a Tim Reed. Yeah. You know what I mean? They I cast I the most likable people on earth. Yeah. I don't know that it's going to be as successful with the remake. The I adult cast, I really like the kids, but the adult cast, it's like some of those actors, like, I, you know, I don't need to see him again. But. I actually really like the adult right. cast, so I'm fine with it. Although I don't think I, I know all of them, so it's right. fine. Uh, but I am looking forward to the second half of this, uh, because I do want to see those adults, you know, fighting right. a, a child's monster. <laughs> and something that I appreciated, too, is that this, the special effects, although they were scaled down for a, a television budget mm-hmm. also really did look like what you'd see in a B movie in the 1950s. Like That was yeah. an interesting choice. It's like, let's just go with what they thought a monster looked like, not right. necessarily what we think a monster looks like. Right, yeah. And so far, what we've seen of it is very much kind of a, a 50s spook show. I, I was uh, looking up... Um, th- uh, some information on one of my favorite movies growing up, The Crawling Eye. Oh, what a deeply upsetting title. Um, it's about a crawling eye. You have to understand that, uh, I, and I think we've talked about it on this show, one of my formative um, horror movie experiences, hey, y'all, I was eight and I didn't know it wasn't a horror movie, was 
April Fools. Uh-huh. Oh, wherein yeah. there is an I sequence, and that's when I noped the fuck out. Right. Uh, and since then, I stuff has deeply upset well, me. This, the you don't see the Especially uh-huh. if you see the, like, the I, the... the Tissue? The connections. Right. The, this, this is a really fun movie from the 50s. Nerves and things. About... Um, and we have a friend from Austria, and I used to joke with her about the Trollenberg. It's like it's supposed to be a, an alp in Austria where there's a perpetual fog on the top of the, the mountain. And it's because there's alien beings living there in this fog. Sure. That are trying to acclimatize the Earth's environment by gradually moving the cloud closer and closer to the valley here and then invading. So at the end of the movie, you see... And it's a fun oh, movie. This is the... what the Okay. I thought you meant that this is a thing that is in Austria... No, 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 no. The, and the, that people believe right. this. Okay, well, this is the plot no, of the film. This is the Got plot it. of the film, but it takes place in Austria. Got and it. Then, uh, and what the, was this movie? The Crawling Eye. This was that one. At okay. the very end of the movie, you see the actual monsters, which look like enormous eyeballs. No, thank you. The size of Volkswagens, covered with veins and all, and yeah, weird no, little tentacles. Yep. I don't like it. And uh, I don't want it. And that movie had a huge effect on me as a kid, and I was reading about how in the book It, the crawling eye is one of the things the monster turns into. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Um, J.K. Rowling stole the Boggart from It. A hundred percent. Right. So in in the Harry Potter movies, or, you know, and the books, so let's start there. In the books, the Boggart is this poltergeisty thing that is basically harmless, but appears to you as your worst fear. Right. And the way that you get over it is you you imagine it uh-huh. silly and that's how you can sort of defeat it and you and you do it by putting a bunch of people in front of it so it has to change real quick and then right. it gets confused and then you can you know zap it with your wand or whatever a hundred percent it's stolen from this movie yeah. or this and a lot of this is bar- I, one of the things i appreciated about stephen king from the beginning when i first got introduced to him uh the first thing i got read by him i think was the mist i think and I had, um, in it, he describes things like the fog rolled in and it looked like a special effect by John Fulton. Mm. And again, if you like, you'll get, oh, I know that guy. Right. Or at the end of the book, he describes the fog as saying, we didn't know what was about to come out of it. It could have been this, it could have been that, it could have been Ghidra, the three-headed monster. Yay, and then and, you're in love forever. Well, because up in, I think there's a lot of people who up until the recent Godzilla film had never known what the hell that meant. And like, oh, that thing, good oh, God, that's thing, terrifying. Yeah. But, yeah, because there were people like Mothra, and they'd heard about it. It had been a thing in their, you know, their childhood imagination. Yeah. And then suddenly you see it. It's like, that's what it's supposed to be. So um, he does borrow a lot, but he also is clear to acknowledge that scene where you don't know whose hand you're holding comes directly from the hunting. Okay, yes, Jackson's yes, hunting. yes, yes. I knew it was familiar, um, but I couldn't figure out why. But, uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of references in there. There's a lot of goofy, and this film carried over that sort of weird... You do feel like you're watching a, a Roger Corman science fiction movie at times, only with much more serious and weighty themes than he was able to explore, because basically he was just trying to make money. But um, but yeah, it was. It's, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying how weird it is, and I, I yeah. think I'll probably enjoy it also when all the adult characters are together, because these are all the familiar faces from my childhood. Yeah, yes. You know... To a person as old as me, Harry Anderson was doing guest appearances on Cheers before he went on to do Night Court. Oh, um, Night Court. And uh, for years. 
and, and we're going to get more Olivia Hussey. So. Right. And then John Ritter, and then Annette O'Toole, and then Tim yeah. Reed, and all these guys. It was really, it was Richard Master. I saw, I was surprised at how small his role was because he was like the perpetual guest star. Yes. And he had a great... It's the least I've ever seen him in a thing. And I do believe that he comes... He might. He I don't know. makes an appearance in the second part. He's but very I don't, funny because he's no. a really, really big guy. Yes. He seems to me to be... But he has like the softest feet, voice and the gentlest manner. Yes. And, and that comes he across... He seems as, like he also gives really good hugs. Like, that's a weird thing, but I Every I performance it. I've seen him in, he seems to be like this guy who really... He, uh, there was an episode of Amazing Stories. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that show. I've heard of that show. Uh, which was a show that Steven Spielberg produced his attempt at making Twilight Zone on an enormous budget for television at the time. And Richard Mazur plays a serial killer. And it was so out of character that I was like, no, I mean, literally, as a kid, that can't be him. He can't be the killer. No, not him. Oh, no. <laughs> he's the guy in the sweater. No, like, I wouldn't believe the face I just made. Um, it's like, yeah, he's the guy in the, sw- the cable knit sweater. That's what he did. That's what his move was to me. Like, the guy with the mustache, that guy? No, it can't be him. I was just going to say, he would have been an excellent person to play a character that I had in my head for mm-hmm. a second, but he was the wrong age. Like, it was not the right, right time. I'm so pissed because I've forgotten what it was. Um, let me see if I can remember. Soft-spoken, but big. Uh-huh. Beast. Uh, <laughs> the, be- the X-Men character. Right. Oh, yeah. He could have been, yeah. <laughs> right? But, like, his age put him at a time when I don't mm-hmm. know... Well, I if think he would have <laughs> the choice to go with Frazier, whose name just Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer. When I saw that casting, having grown up reading X Men comic books, when I should have been doing schoolwork, I was like, "Oh, that's good." That is, no, <laughs> that, that is was good. Really good. And I actually liked the Nicholas Holt <laughs> right. casting because as well. All through the comic book, there was these points where the rest of the X Men are lounging or they're working out or whatever. When they're not on on time, and he's sitting there with these really tiny granny yes, glasses, glasses reading. Yeah, and that was like one of to me one of the funniest things about the comic book. Yeah. It's like he's like the least human looking of them almost, but at the same time the most erudite right. and and clever and sharp and funny of them. And, and like, also like I don't need to work out. Right. I know. It's very funny. It's yeah, my, well, my the, superpower is I don't fucking need to work out so I can read. Yeah. yeah no, I think a, Kelsey Grammer was a smart, right. a smart cast. It was a really smart that. choice. And to me, still, Nicholas Holt, as old as he gets and as many things I, as I see him in, he's always going to be fucking 14 or whatever and just walking through school yelling, shake your ass. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I, that is how I picture him. All the time. <laughs> he's he's a very funny guy. I don't. I, I um. So, what do you think? How do you think this compares to the new it that you we saw not too long ago? Uh, I like the design of the new it better, uh-huh. and I like that a R-rated movie lets me see creepier, grosser things. Right. I mean, realistically, well, it's a movie about creepy and gross, so yeah. it kind of yeah. um. And I like the casting of it. So I, I have no complaints there. Um, these are so different. I like, think, honestly, mm-hmm. I could feel like I'd be in the mood to watch this version or the other version. I don't think I'd ever sit down and be like, I'm going to watch it, and I don't know which of these I'm right. going to watch. They're very distinct. <laughs> yeah. I think that the new version, I really like how funny it is. Mm-hmm. 
there's a lot more humor into yeah. it. And the fact that they focus exclusively on the children yeah. also is an advantage because we're not... Although I think right. in for a miniseries, I think the way that no, the they way introduced it was really the best choice. Them yeah. y- with these are the characters I'm going to need you to associate with these characters, right. so that when you come back in two days, yeah, you have some sort of link. Now they're going to basically do the exact opposite in right. the, in the remake, right? So it's all kids in the in the first half, and then they're going to have to have flashbacks in the second half, which is we're not going to do. I don't yeah, think. I don't. Yeah, I I think that um, it was a great way to do it for this yeah. because there was less emphasis on the kids. Right. What I liked about the new version is given this time to just be with the kids, they were really funny. They were. They cast they were, really great they cast kids. Really good. And they, they had got, a really good script. Yeah, script the script what I think good. was missing from the new version, again, is how they switched over the characters and really what they did to the one black character. Yeah. That I really yeah. didn't appreciate. Which it's like, hopefully they... Uh-huh. Address? They trying to rectify in some way. I don't know. Yeah. The, I remember watching this movie with our friends and turning to each other and going, why did they shortchange this one guy? Yeah. Because yes. he was really the, the linchpin that holds they the made whole him thing almost, together. Uh, they made him so, yes. And now I will mention the thing that I was going to say earlier. Yeah. Um, they won't refer to him as the black kid. Like, they uh, won't refer to him. They're like, and this one's different or like he's the different kid in town or something like that's the word they use and I'm like what the fuck and the time uh-huh. difference is marked right. because they moved it back 20 so maybe 30 years um to take place in the 80s and now right and I do think that the what kids were well we were right at the end of when kids would be allowed to go out into the woods by themselves for right. days on end and whatnot. I, I feel like by the 90s, that's not a thing anymore. Well, also, and this is something, um, and this is, uh, we have a mutual friend that uh, I often tease about being the last angry black man. He's a great guy. He's an artist. I won't, he, hi. Hey, Alan. hopefully you're listening. Okay, he is. <laughs> He talked to me about a film with Samuel Jackson and Ben Affleck a long time ago that involved a conflict between these two characters, and he felt it was completely wrong that the the N word never came into it. Oh, like this character, yeah, this would character would totally drop that. the N word. And okay. I had that feeling when I was watching the remake that it's like this character, Henry Bowers, is such a jerk. I the wasn't that expecting he, that, uh, but they could have used the word black or African American, whatever right. the eighties people. People in the eighties right. were saying, but in this film but version, but they're like, it's the you know, yeah. it's the losers and that one different kid or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you guys are really doing a lot to not just say what's happening. And right in now. this version of it, they he just comes out and says it, and you're like, yeah, that's what that asshole would say. <laughs> it is so shocking to hear it, though. <laughs> Out loud on a television miniseries, right. he said that word. Ooh, shit. I and it, was, but it felt like, especially given the period of time that this was, and his resentment, oh, you know, my dad has to put up with it, I have to put up with it, that you're living in our street, that Ugh. was exactly the right call. It was. place, Especially in that time and place to go, I'm resentful for of you. For the 60s, right. I don't think it would work for the 80s. I don't, yeah, I, the, I don't The know. sentiment may be identical. I think the word would be used still if you're that uh, hateful. You, something's going to come out of you. 
I mean, people are using it now, for God's sake. People are using it now, but so, I don't know. I like to think they give a four-second pause before they do it. Right. I, but then he felt the encouragement, with, along with Belch and Fart, or whatever the other guy's name is. Victor. Victor. <laughs> <laughs> Belch, Fart, and Booger, my friends. Ugh, I don't um, want those friends. <laughs> it's like nobody those does. Those like bad friends. <laughs> but these guys... They would be encouraged in that particular time to be able to say, "Oh yeah, that's what that guy is." Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I really, I liked. It, it's it's a good movie. I'm really appreciating it. I appreciate what they've done with it. So, all right. Again, looking forward to the next segment. Are we doing recommendations? I don't think so because I don't have anything to recommend. Okay. Yeah, we're we're back. We're doing these back, pretty back to back. So, we'll come up with a recommendation for next week. We promise. Mm. Which will maybe be recorded tomorrow, so you've got homework. Uh, so with uh, that, uh-huh. watch the second half with us. Yeah, uh, come back next week and see how we deal with these adults adulting all over the screen. And my no Jonathan Brandis, so sad, so Aww. sad. Uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns, reach out. Let us know that you're watching with us. Uh, you can reach us at Gmail or at, on email. Latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can reach us at latecomerspod on Twitter. Twitter. Uh, I'm getting us an Instagram. Okay. But it's not, I don't know if it's up yet. So it might be up. Look for us on Instagram. I believe it's latecomerspodcast at latecomerspodcast. I don't know. Test me. See what happens. Uh, I think that's everything. I remind you to take your medicine even if it's a gazebo. And, <laughs> and we remind you, better, better late, late than, than never. never.